All right, well, open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14. As you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, Jesus has just a few hours left with his disciples. Uh, Jesus' life is very quickly coming to an end. Uh, And as he draws near to the end of his life and the final hours that he has with his disciples, uh, he shares with them some things. He's preparing them for what lies ahead. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. Third day, he's going to rise again, and then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And so he's preparing them for what lies ahead of them. And as he prepares them, he shared with them some shocking things. If you were with us in chapter 13, he shared with them among the disciples, because he's not ministering to the crowds anymore. He's focused on his 12 disciples, and he says, one of you will betray me. Shocking news. All of the disciples, they're perplexed. They can't figure out who would do it. We know, of course, it's Judas Iscariot. And then he, he revealed something else shocking. He said, I'm going to leave you. And he says, where I go, you cannot follow me. And, and can you imagine how shocking that is? But, but the manner in which Jesus is going to depart is is through an excruciating, humiliating death. And so if one of your close friends, associates, individuals came up to you and said, one of my closest associates, one of my disciples is going to betray me and I'm about to leave, I'm about to die on a cross, a humiliating, excruciating death, you would think you would go to that individual and express concern for them. You would think that they would be the person that you would go and that you would comfort and you would say, Tell me more, I, I, I want to know what I can do for you, but, but Jesus is not the one who is comforted. The disciples are the ones who are comforted, and as we turn the page to John chapter 14, Jesus has some comforting words for his disciples. As he prepares them for what lies ahead, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his subsequent ascension, and he wants to give them some comforting words. The next hours or so are going to cause them great emotional distress. You see, Jesus has been talking about these things for some time, but they're not connecting all of the dots, and and certainly not all the dots will be connected until later, certainly after the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2, but they haven't yet put it all together, but Jesus is going to give them these comforting words, and so we'll be in chapter 14, verse 1 and following We'll get through the first 14 verses together. Or the Lord reads this way. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father that it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? You have seen me, has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Uh, you know, as we get to walk through chapter 14, we get to hear comforting words from Jesus to his disciples. They're facing a troubled heart, a troubled mind, because they're going to experience great emotional distress over the fact that Jesus, as Judas leaves the room and heads out to betray Jesus, it's the beginning of something that will ultimately lead to Jesus being crucified on the cross and dying for the sins of humanity. And Jesus takes time to comfort them with these words. Um, this is a helpful text for all of us. If ever there are times when we need to be comforted, we need to be reminded as we await the return of Jesus Christ. And when we experience troubled times in our troubled lives because of troubled circumstances, these words are, are just as significant and helpful and comforting for the disciples that Jesus is speaking to as they are here today as we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus comforts them, we get to learn who Jesus is, because that's the question we're really answering in John. John chapter 20, verse 31, John says this, and we repeat it each week. These things are written as we hear about the miracles, the, the works, and the, the, the words of Jesus, the miracles, and the messages of Jesus. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that by believing you may have life in his name. And these words, no doubt also, these comforting words reveal who Jesus is. And so who is Jesus? Well, in light of verse 1, we immediately learn that Jesus is the one who comforts his disciples with a command. He comforts them with, a, with this command. He, he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Two parts to this command. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Number two, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. First part of the command is let not your heart be troubled. This is a helpful reminder for these disciples, a helpful reminder for us. You may face troubled times. And your circumstances may not change. The troubles you face will not change. But the text tells us, while you cannot change what's out there, you can change how you respond to it. And so Jesus gives these instructions, let not your heart be troubled. And so the peace of God is not dependent on the absence of trouble, is not dependent on the absence of difficulty, because sometimes we say, if I just don't have that in my life, or if I had this in my life, then I would be comforted, then I would be content, then I would have peace. No, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You're facing troubled times, let not your heart be troubled. The peace of God is dependent really on this command, it is dependent really on the presence of 
Christ. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Okay, second part of the command, you believe in God, believe also in me. How do you keep your heart from being troubled in troubled times, especially when Jesus is about to leave these disciples? He's about to be crucified. Emotional distress, yes, much of it. Their messianic hopes are going to be destroyed, thinking that Jesus was the one who's going to reign on the throne and overthrow Roman rule, and and their messianic hopes are destroyed. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. How do you keep your heart from being troubled? Believe in God. Uh, That's a statement. He says, you believe in God. Uh, If you take a look at it in the Greek, it's saying continually believe in God as you believe in God. And then he also says believe also in me. How does belief in God or faith in God, before we move to talk about Christ, give me any sense of peace of mind and settle my troubled heart, especially if Jesus is about to be crucified? Or when you face troubled times, the loss of a loved one, the hardships and difficulties of life, what gives you peace? Believe in God. You know who God is, right? In the Old Testament, you hear about a God who is eternal. He's got no beginning. He has no end. He's described as a God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first part of the alphabet, the end of it. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. What a God who will give you a peace that will transcend all understanding when you believe in him. He's eternal. He's, he's not just eternal. He's, he's the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. If he's the creator, he has sovereign power over it all. He's he's the almighty God. There's nothing our God cannot do. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. Believe in God. (laughs) Let your hearts not be troubled. So Jesus says, believe in God. Then he, he says, believe also in me. Now, the invitation of the Gospel of John is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. The promised, anointed prophet, priest, and king of the Old Testament, that he is the Son of God. Because we know Jesus isn't just a man. He's not just a prophet. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so Jesus is saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. What is he saying? Believe that he's the Christ. Believe that he's the Son of God. But all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been making these I am statements. We've been talking about them. The sixth one we're going to read about today. But as we've been talking about them, these are the I am statements that keep us, as we believe in this Jesus, from letting our hearts, or that keep our hearts from being troubled. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, In the same way that bread satisfies physical hunger, he says, I will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. I will satisfy your deepest spiritual longing. How do you keep your heart from being troubled? By coming to Jesus and believing in the bread of life, and he will satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. You've got troubled, you've got a troubled life, you've got troubled circumstances. He will settle your soul and give you a peace that transcends all. Understanding John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Jesus says, in a world lost in darkness, where people are fumbling around in the darkness trying to take hold of this philosophy or or that religion, Jesus says, I am the light that will guide you. Are you in dark times? Are they troubled? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in the light of the world. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door, earlier the door to the sheep. He who enters by me shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. When you see Jesus as the door and you enter by him, not only do you find salvation, but you find the abundant life. You find contentment in the care of your shepherd. That's the abundant life. It's not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of trouble because there are times when I'm being led through the green pastures. There's times when I'm being led through by the quiet waters, but even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear because I'm content in the care of my shepherd. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in the door. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. What did we learn about the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Now, there's a psalm that we love, believers and unbelievers alike, Psalm, 20, psalm 23. Now, often if you come up to an unbeliever, especially when they lose a loved one, you ask, is there a Bible verse that you know of or that you'd like to be quoted? And they'll often refer to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. I don't need anything. But when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, when we're talking about Psalm 23, you can't take comfort in Psalm 23 as an unbeliever who has not made Jesus the good shepherd of your life. Psalm 23 is uniquely for the one who has trusted in the good shepherd, who had submitted their life to the good shepherd. And the believer is the one who says, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. He leads me. He guides me. Takes care of me. That who is who Jesus is. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Let your heart not be troubled by trusting, believing, coming to the good shepherd. Now, well, then in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You remember who he told that to? Martha. Lazarus has died her brother. And Martha, you know, she's really disappointed. Jesus, if you would have been here, I know you could have saved him. And Jesus has done great miracles, but has he raised the dead? And well, Lazarus, and and Jesus reminds her in the midst of her troubled heart because she has just lost her brother full of grief. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. You ever faced the death of a loved one? You ever hold the hand of someone who has? What a wonderful reminder. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. He who lives in, believes in me shall never die. And then in our text today, 
We're gonna read about in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. You stay connected, you abide and dwell in Christ. You will produce the fruit that comes from that connection. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, the creator, the eternal creator who made heaven and earth and everything and who created you and I, all powerful, all knowing, all present. Believe also in me, Jesus says. And you believe that he is the great I am. Let not your heart be troubled. So who's Jesus? Jesus is the one who comforts his disciples by a command. By a command. If there were a couple takeaways, they would be be comforted by your faith in Jesus. That's what comforts us. That's what keeps our hearts from being troubled. Place your faith first in Jesus so that you can keep your heart from being troubled. You gotta trust in him. You gotta believe in him. So if you haven't put your faith and trust in him, if you haven't denied yourself, taken up your cross and followed after him, if you haven't said, you know, Jesus, my way of doing things is not the right way and I've been born into this world broken, sinful, and separated, and what I need is you, and I know that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the one who's the good shepherd. You lay your life down for the sheep. I believe in you. I trust in you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. That's the key. Put your faith in Jesus. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, what a wonderful thing to be comforted by your God who's eternal, who's creator, who's, who, who's present in our lives, uh, to, to continue to put your hope in, in the one who is the great I am. He'll satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. He'll guide you as the light of the world. He, he's the door. He is the good shepherd. He's, he's the resurrection and the life. He's the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the, the true vine we stay connected to. And those are the things we need to be reminded again and again and again. Do you have a troubled heart? Memorize those seven verses in the Gospel of John. And after you're done taking a look at those texts, come back and let me know if your heart's still troubled. Because what God will do through the work of his word and his spirit in your heart is he will settle your heart. Be anxious about nothing, Philippians. Be, pray about everything. When you're praying to him, you know who you're praying to, and it changes your outlook. It settles your heart. Even though the storm may be on the outside, though you may be going through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because you know he is with you. So be comforted by your faith in Jesus, and secondly, be comforted by refusing to allow your heart to be troubled. That's a decision we make. We make a decision to take our focus off of the troubled circumstances and shift them on to the Savior who settles our heart. That's a choice we get to make. Um, in times when you've been troubled or burdened, just to open it up for discussion, what, is God, how, what ways has God reminded you that he is the comforter and in what ways might you remind others uh, that he is their comforter in times of trouble. How's God reminded you that he's your comforter in troubled times?
God answers our prayers and Lord, we see you. You're working, you're moving. Yeah, and that's a great comfort. We're not just throwing up our prayers into the air. They're going up to a God who is sovereign and all-powerful. Yeah, so good. Anything else? What reminds you of his comfort? Yeah, Lori. Oh, yeah. Just reading through the Psalms and praying through them. Praying through the Psalms. So not just reading them, but uh, uh, praying through them. Amen. Yeah, what else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes God sends messengers your way to, to comfort you with God's word. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Harold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something about worship music and giving praises to God and being reminded of who he is that is a great comfort to our souls, especially in troubled times. Anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So when people, believers, go through trials and tribulations and you see how God sustains them, cares for them, takes care of them, it is an encouragement. And as you see their faith strengthened in those times of difficulty, they encourage our hearts as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, just things to think about because often there are people in our lives who come to us and say, I'm going through a troubled time right now. Believers and unbelievers alike. For the unbeliever, it's trust in Jesus. You want to say something, man? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and God's word goes such a, a far ways. Amen, amen. Now we need those, those, those comforting words, and how much more can we be thinking about how we can share those comforting words with others? Even in the midst of losing a loved one, you know, um, one of my favorite texts to teach and teach through on a memorial service or a, uh, a funeral is John chapter 14. Because it's so comforting to be reminded of who he is and how he cares for us. And just to remind, we, can, we can't control what's happening out here, but we can control how we respond to it through his empowerment, through our obedience to this command. And so um, he comforts them. And we see Jesus is the one who comforts 
uh, through a command, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Secondly, he comforts them with the assurance of heaven. The assurance of heaven. We continue to read in uh, verse two, it says, in my father's house are many mansions. Where's Jesus going and where did he come from? <laughs> if there was someone who's gonna describe heaven to us, you would think it was someone who's already been there. There's a lot of people who like to tell you about heaven. You read about it in scripture. Obviously, that's the authoritative word of God, and so we're, we're, we're getting it from the Lord. But who better to hear about heaven than Jesus? That's where he came in eternity past. He's, he's the second person of the Trinity. And so if we're going to know about heaven and the assurance of heaven and the promise of heaven, our ears should perk up when we hear Jesus starting to describe it, especially in a time where it's much needed. And he says, in my Father's house. How is heaven described? It's described as where God dwells. Wow. Take a, take, take a moment to take that in right now. You know, sometimes people, they dream about what heaven is like, you know? Sometimes we think, well, maybe my favorite food is going to be there. Or uh, we think of maybe some of my, my favorite people who have trusted in Christ are, are going to be there. Or people, they talk about heaven, believers and unbelievers alike, and they'll talk about this or, or that or, or something else. You know what's so special about heaven is that's where the presence of God is. That's where God is. And if you don't enjoy the presence of God now, you know, when we gather with the people of God and we sing praises to his name and we come under the instruction of his word, if you don't long for the presence of God in your devotional time and in prayer and in the word, you know, those, that's what we're going to experience in heaven. That's where God is. You know, you know, we should have an experience of heaven on earth when the people of God gather and, and we're singing praises to his name and coming under his instruction. What's so special and what's so lovely about heaven is that is where God dwells. It's my father's house. That's what Jesus says. So he says, in my father's house are many mansions. So heaven is not just where God dwells, but it's also described as a dwelling place with plenty of space. <laughs> There's plenty of space there. Now, let me remind you, who's Jesus speaking to? Speaking to his 11. Uh, Judas has already walked out the room. He, he, Satan has entered his heart. He's going to go betray Jesus. But Jesus is speaking to 11 of his disciples. That's it. And he says, there are many mansions. There are plenty of dwelling places there. There's plenty of room for you. How many Christians are in the world today? Well, we could estimate maybe a billion. If you take a look at history and the many Christians throughout 2,000 years, I don't know how many there are, but, but, but how many of you know heaven is, is a permanent place? It's, it's a dwelling place for you and me with plenty of space. That means if we're in, we should probably bring as many people with us as possible. Let people know that Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's plenty of space there. And so this is how heaven is described. Wow. So God's there. Plenty of space there. So not only is God there, but the redeemed are there. Thirdly, how is heaven described? Heaven is described as a place uniquely prepared by Jesus with the redeemed in mind. Isn't that neat to think about? I mean, let me read that to you. It says, in my father's house are many mansions, if it were not. So I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for who? For you. 
Uh, Jesus has been gone, at least he went to heaven 2,000 years ago, and he's been preparing a place for the redeemed of the Lord. You know how long it took him to create the heavens and earth and everything in him? Six literal days. And he's been preparing a place for you and me for 2,000 years. Wow, we have something to look forward to. Talk about that which comforts our hearts. That's it. You got some troubled times? Be reminded of the assurance and the promise of heaven. We are just temporary residents here. We're just passing through. You got troubles? You won't imagine what you have to look forward to. The, the temporary struggles and suffering doesn't compare to the eternal glory of heaven that will be forever and ever and ever. Wow. It's uniquely prepared by Jesus with the redeemed in mind. I go to prepare a place for you. And then it says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so heaven is also described as a place and that is accompanied with the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I have to leave you, but don't worry. After I leave you, I'm gonna come back for you. May this be a comfort to you and me. The times we live in may be hard, may be difficult. You take a look at our world. You take a look at our nation. You take a look at your circumstances. You see the trajectory of the way things are, are working out. You know what our comfort is, our hope is? Jesus is coming back. He's gonna come and get us. You know, um, whenever we have a new child in the home, we prepare their room for them. Uh, we had our first child. It was a, a girl. We had our second child. It was a girl. The third child, it was a boy, so... First two, you know, kind of similar. The rooms look alike a bit, a bit, you know, and then you get the third one. It's a boy, you know. We, we changed that room up. We're so excited. Still not sleeping in there, but it's ready for him. It's prepared for him, and we're ready to take him and move him in. What a wonderful thought to think about that Jesus is preparing a place for us. We've got an assignment here. Don't miss that. We're going and making disciples. We're bringing as many people with us to heaven but when it's time, Jesus is going to come and get us, and we're, we'll be with God and his people forever and ever. God's going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. The redeemed of the Lord are going to be there. Heaven is going to be a blessed place indeed. If I could open up for discussion just in regards to the assurance of heaven, um, if, if you were about to pass from this life into the next. What comforting words about heaven would be a comfort to you? You're on your deathbed. You're about to move from this life to the next. Well, what are the comforting words? Or you're in a place of persecution. Your life is threatened and uh, you're standing up for the cause of Christ and uh, you're saying, I'm going to stand firm. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's going to enable and empower me. They can take my life, but they can't take my soul. You know, God he, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What's your comfort in a moment like that? What are you excited about heaven? What comforts about heaven warm your heart? Yeah, Stan. First John 3, 2, when I see him, I will become like him because mm. I will see him as he is. Wow. My, bl my blinders will come off. And yeah. I will see 
Wow. What a powerful moment. Yeah. What a wonderful thought to think about the moment we saw Jesus as he was, as he is, in regards to our salvation, our Savior, and how much more to see him in all of his glory. What a powerful moment. What a wonderful thing to think about. And we will be like him. We don't know exactly what that glorified as well, but wow, what a moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the struggles of the flesh will be no more. Amen to that. Looking forward to that day. Yes. Yeah, any, any, anything else? Yeah. All right, I got a couple more questions here. The second one is, uh, what do you think is, is most appealing to unbelievers about heaven? You talk to folks, you know. People like the idea of heaven, not so much hell, you know. Tell me more about heaven. What, what's so appealing about heaven, at least as far as people know, uh, when you talk to them about heaven? Yeah. So, on, on, yeah, yeah. Believers and unbelievers alike, you go to funeral. Yeah, we're going to see you again someday, you know. Uh, some people say you're going to be an angel in heaven, you know, those kinds of those kinds of thoughts, yeah. yeah, yeah. And anything else as you just have conversations with folks? What, what is heaven? What's heaven like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, when I was in Arizona, I told you, uh, this is one of my favorite texts to, to preach out of at funerals. And so one of my key uh, evangelism opportunities was right across the street from our church. We had a, um, a funeral home. And so the, the director there would always call me if someone, they needed somebody to, to oversee the service and to share. And I said, yeah, whenever you have somebody, go ahead and call me up. And I'd, I'd love to share, but let them know I, I'll be a, I'm a Christian pastor, and so I'll be sharing the gospel and sharing the message. And so he'd always connect me with these uh, different families. And I tell you, there were some odd funerals that I've done. And one of those in particular was, uh, you know, I start the service, I pray, and then, and then uh, they had different people stand up and talk about their loved one. And, and they were talking about weird stuff like... Uh, uh, like where their loved one was and, and how they were going back into the, you know, space or whatever and, and all this weird stuff, you know. And then I get up there and I say, oh boy, this is going to rock the room a little bit, preach the gospel, give an invitation to trust in Christ. And then, you know, you just see the, the face because you just watched everybody just have those conversations and you, you walk away and you, and you say, if anyone wants to chat afterwards, I'd be happy to chat with you. I mean, what a, what a wonderful opportunity, but you just get to see the, the interesting views that people have, but what a wonderful opportunity at a funeral. That's why pastors always say, we'd love to do a funeral over a wedding any day. Wedding, no one's listening. No one's listening to the message of the, the, that's being preached. Hopefully the, the, the couple is, who's getting married is listening. But at a funeral, you're faced with life and death. We're all going to die. It's 100% in regards to us. And so people are thinking about it and considering it. A wonderful thing to think about. And have a, you know, when we talk about transitioning conversations to spiritual things, what a wonderful thing with an unbeliever or a friend or a family member to say, hey, what do you think about heaven? 
What are your thoughts about heaven? Is it something you believe in? And you can have a conversation about John 14. What a wonderful thing. Uh, third question, what do you think is most appealing or should be most appealing to believers? I think we fall in love with the world a little too much, don't you think? Because, because sometimes we say, well, I, uh, if you're single, you're like, oh, I want to get married first, right? I got to raise my family first. I got to do this. I got to do that before I get to heaven. What should be most appealing about heaven for us as, as believers? Why do we get off the track sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. To love God enough to want to be with him, to see him in all of his glory, to, yeah, be in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, we get to dream about heaven right now. What's, what's so appealing? What's so exciting? God's going to be there. The, the redeemed of the Lord are going to be there. There's some in Christ. Yeah, Leslie. Yeah, so from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, singing praises to the Lord. And do you think all of our voices are just going to be angelic, you know, maybe? <laughs> perfected, perfected voices. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a wonderful thing to think about, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I was saying the redeemed are going to be there. There, some people you're going to look forward to uh, seeing again who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ and what a motivation for us right now to say, I got a neighbor, I've got a family member, I got a friend, I got some loved ones who don't know Jesus, who, hasn't, who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. And I've just heard about a heaven that is so amazing. God's going to be there. Jesus is going to, the redeemed are going to be there. There's plenty of space there. If it wasn't so, Jesus would have told us, man, we need to get as many people there as possible because the alternative is hell. The alternative is an eternity without God, an eternity without the redeemed, an eternity without Christ the Lord. That is hell indeed, weeping and gnashing of teeth indeed. And bring as many people as possible. Jesus comforts them with a command. He comforts them with the assurance of heaven. And then he continues to comfort them with the promise of salvation. Verse four, it says, and where I go, you know, and the way you know, why did Jesus say this? He's been with these disciples for three years. He's been trying to pound it into their heads, right? Well, they're not going to pull all the pieces together, right, until later. I mean, even as he predicts Judas's betrayal, he's going to leave them. All the pieces will eventually come together later. And so Jesus tells them, listen, you guys, uh, uh, where I go, you know, and the, the way you know. We're talking about heaven, and we're talking about the way, and and Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. At least someone says it, you know, like we don't get it. We're not connecting all of the pieces. And how can we know the way? You know any Thomases? Thomases who, who, who've asked you, we don't know where you're going. And can you show us the way? What a wonderful evangelistic verse to, to, to lead people to Christ with. Wow. 
Some people are like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do if I ever have the opportunity to lead somebody in a conversation about salvation. Thomas asked the question and Jesus gives the answer. Jesus said to him, what's the way to heaven? What's the, uh, what's the way there? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I know a way. Let me show you. He said, I am the way. Jesus didn't say, I know a truth that will get you there. Here's some secret knowledge that I can provide you, and that's how you get to heaven. Jesus didn't say uh, uh, this or that. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I, I am the way. I'm not an option. Plenty of religions out there who, who say, you know, there are many roads that lead to heaven. We all find our own way in this world. You say, no. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, he is the way. Well, you're, you're being kind of closed-minded and bigoted. You know, how dare you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it, you know. Why are you bothering me? I'm just the messenger. I, Jesus said, I am the way. He's not just the option. He didn't say, I'm, I'm an opinion, you know. If you want to get to heaven, here's a good idea. You know, follow this path. No, he said, I am the truth. And I am life. Are you dead inside? Plenty of people say, oh, I'm depressed. I'm overwhelmed with life. I'm just dead inside. I'm just walking around, you know, just trying to make life happen, have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Jesus says, I am the life. I'm the bread of life. I will satisfy your deepest longing of your soul. I'll give you purpose and meaning in this life. The deepest longing of your heart is him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. What is heaven? Heaven's where the Father is. That's where God is. That's the significance of what heaven is all about. Jesus says, you can't go there except through me. Not all roads lead to heaven. That's a helpful reminder for us. And it's a helpful reminder for us to share with others. Not because we don't like them. Or bigoted or closed-minded. But because we love them enough to say there is one path to salvation. And it's through Jesus. If a, a building was, was burning down right now. And all these doors, there's fires behind all of these doors and this door and that door. And I know that that's the only way out. I would be cruel for me to say, no, all roads lead to salvation. All roads lead to rescue. All roads will lead you to safety. No, I say get out that door as quickly as, as possible because the rest of those doors will ultimately lead in your destruction and death. Go out the one door. Jesus is that door. We need to be sharing this with people, pleading with people. You're going out a door that leads to destruction and death. Follow after Christ and him crucified. Don't go there. We love you too much. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is the one who comforts us with the assurance of salvation. Uh, we all have these conversations. A person you witness to says, it's fine that you believe in Jesus, but I have my own spiritual beliefs that work for me. What's your reply?
Yeah. Not the truth. Yeah, what else? I'm sure we've all had these conversations. Yeah, 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 you can't, can't follow. Yeah, truth is exclusive by its nature. Logic, use some logic, point him to Christ, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, so seeing it as a process, you know, as you rely on the Lord and you pray for them and uh, you continue to chat with them, have those honest conversations. It goes a long ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Leslie. Yeah, yeah. I once, once attended a, uh, a funeral, a Catholic funeral, a four-hour funeral, because two hours they're doing Hail Marys. They don't know if, they're, if their loved one's actually going to make it to heaven, and they're praying that, that those Hail Marys uh, give them some favor with Mary who has favor with Jesus, and hopefully that'll get them out of purgatory or shorten their time there. I mean, it's a, it's a heartbreaking reality. And we can, we, Jesus gives you security, he gives you assurance. What a heartbreaking thing for people to, to, to think that their good works, their good deeds, their, their uh, prayers, uh, just saying these repetitions are going to save them. It's a real sad reality. Or simply to deny the existence of God or heaven or hell. It's a real sad Reality. Jesus comforts. These are comforting words. These are comforting words of, of by a command. You obey this command. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You will receive comfort there. It's, a, it's the comfort of heaven. Heaven is a real place. God's there. The redeemed are there. It's a place with plenty of space. It's permanent. I mean, it's going to be a blessing indeed. And, and Jesus, he comforts them with the reminder of salvation, the, the way, the truth, and the life. It's him. Isn't it nice to know that we don't have to point people to some philosophy or some religion? Just let me introduce you to Jesus, and he'll change everything. Change the trajectory of your life, but your eternity, and you can be with him forever and ever. And then he comforts them in the final verses, verses 8 to 14, or 7 to 14, um, with the reminder of the truth. The truth that Jesus reveals and comforts them with is that he reveals the Father. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus has said this again and again and again, that he is an extension of the words and the works of the Father. 
He doesn't do anything independently of himself. He doesn't share any words that are not consistent with the Father's words as you read about in Scripture. He doesn't do any works that are inconsistent with the works of God because Jesus is God. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God that we believe in and, and we receive everlasting life. And so Jesus, as he comforts them in this manner, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. The first part of verse seven is, it sounds like a rebuke to me. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. But here's the comfort. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. You want to get to know God? Look at Jesus. So many people Who's God? Does he exist? You know, what evidence is there of a God? You have these conversations with people as well as I do. Look at Jesus. You want evidence? Take a look at the Christ who lived, who died and rose again. They still can't find his body. I mean, what would motivate these disciples, 11 of them, to go out and preach the gospel of Christ to none to their benefit because they're all going to be martyred for the faith. I don't know about you, but I would keep my mouth shut if this was a lie that I just brought up. Doesn't make sense unless truly Christ lived, died, buried, and rose again in newness of life and provides his resurrection life to all of his followers. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Show us, God, show us some, some kind of theophany, maybe, to, to see the glory of God in Jesus. That will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Look at me, Jesus says, and you'll know who God is. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Then he says, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. There he goes again. He says it again and again, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Verse 11, believe me that I am, the, I am in the Father, Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. If God were to become man, I said this last week, and were to dwell among us, we would expect him to do what only God can do, the works of God. We've seen miracles. Jesus turns water into wine, heals the sick. He makes the blind see again. He takes Lazarus, a dead man, in the grave, and then he raises him in newness of life. But the greatest miracle of all, the greatest work of God is Jesus is in the grave three days, and then he gets up again. <laughs> rises in newness of life. Having defeated sin, death, and Satan, he ratifies it through his resurrection, and he says, what I've done is indeed true. There's forgiveness in my name. There's salvation. You can have eternal life if you follow after me. Jesus says, take a look at the evidence. People say, your faith is blind. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking to. My faith isn't blind. My faith is based on reliable eyewitness accounts who, who saw Jesus, who handled Jesus, who, who, who looked upon him the, the, during his life, during his death, during his burial, and, and during his resurrection. My faith is not blind. Yours is. <laughs> You're denying a reality of truth. Take a look at Jesus. And then Jesus goes on saying, I reveal the Father. I reveal the words and the works of the Father. And he says this in verse 12, most assuredly, he reveals the truth. He comforts them with this word. I say to you, he who believes in me. Listen, Jesus is going to leave them, 
Why is he going to leave them? Because there's still work to be done. Why are you here? Why didn't Jesus take you the moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord? There's still work to be done. You've got an assignment, and it says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also, will I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Whoa, this is, this is exciting. This is almost shocking. These disciples are, wait, okay, so some people take a look at this text and they say, sensationism, sensationalism, right? Like, what did Jesus do? He, he turned water into wine. Great, let's try this out, right? Some people say that, right? I turn water into wine. Some people say, okay, he, he, he made the sick well again. We can go in the, in the hospitals and start, start healing the sick. He made the blind see again. He, okay, we can do that. Dead people? We, we can raise them from the dead. You f- go to some graveyard and we're going to raise, because that's what the Bible says. That's what people say. You know, he did these works, but we're going to do even greater works. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the greatest work that can be done. It's the salvation of a soul. Right when Jesus is ministering to these disciples, they got the 11 because Judas is no more, but there are at least 120 because on the day of Pentecost, 120 disciples are going to be indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's at least 120, but that, that's, that's as much as we're talking about here, right? But on the same day, <laughs> Peter is gonna go out having been filled with the Holy Spirit, do a work even greater than Christ did, and he's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and three Thousand souls are going to come to faith. Later, he's going to preach, and 5,000 souls are going to come to faith. You, you want to talk about great works? We're not just talking about water into wine and raising physical, physically people from the dead. We're talking about those who are spiritually dead, b- born broken, separated by a, from a holy God, broken. And we get to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with them. And through the work of the word and the spirit in their hearts, we get to see them receive resurrection life and rise from the dead. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody and you've gotten to watch them come to faith in Jesus as their savior and their Lord? You and I have an opportunity to do even greater works, Jesus says, than what he did. You've got neighbors. You've got family members who don't know the Lord. You've got co-workers who don't know the Lord. You've got people in your circles of influence who don't know the Lord. And God has equipped you to go and share the good news of the gospel that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose the third day and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who will receive him. What would happen if this group here at Twin Rivers Church on a Wednesday night, the few of us who come together would know that we've been called to do a greater work than even Jesus has done, obviously through his work. So we preach the gospel. And that's all we've been called to do. Leave the results to him and watch Springfield transform for Christ. Watch Lane County transform for Christ. Oregon, the United States, and to the ends of the earth. You know, they've been talking about revival on the news lately. 
you know? What a greater revival than this to read a text like this and say, whoa, God, stir my heart for the lost. Stir my heart for my neighbor, for my family member, for my loved ones, for for those that you've placed in my circle of influence and let's reach the world for Christ. Finish the task as you come back and we spend eternity with you and your people forever and ever. How do we do that? Jesus says, as he continues, he says, He says this in verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when we say if you ask anything in my name, we're not just saying if you say the name of Jesus and you pray his name, he has to do it. Like, you know, it's not like, God, I could really use a brand new car. And so in Jesus' name, Please let me get a new car. And then Jesus says, oh, it wasn't my will, but now I, have to ch- now I have to get him the car because he said it in my name, right? No, when it says in my name, what he's saying there is that it's according to his will. When you come before someone in their name, you come before them representing them in their character and who they are. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray according to his will. And as we pray according to his will and we say, Lord, Use me to reach my neighbor. Use me to reach the lost for Christ. Use me to open my eyes and open my mind to opportunities that you will give me to reach others for Christ. And Jesus says he will answer that according to his will. Whoa, that means prayer is more powerful than we ever dreamed or imagined. What makes prayer significant is not simply saying the prayer but the one we are praying to and the one in whose name we pray. So how does true revival happen? Through the prayers of the people of God that are stirred up for the Lord as the people of God go out and finish the task, make disciples to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you will do greater works than I have done. Lord Jesus, use me, I'm available. And as we depend on him through prayer, let's see what God is going to do. Can we pray? Father in heaven, what a a text, what a comforting text we're reminded of in light of this, Lord, but also a challenging text. Father, I pray that our hearts would be comforted now and in all times whether we're facing troubled times or not, uh, that we would make the decision that our hearts would not be troubled as we place our faith in God, as we place our faith in Christ the Lord. I pray, Father, that uh, we would be comforted with the promise of heaven, with the promise of salvation, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not just for us, but as an opportunity to share it with a lost world around us. Father, uh, we pray that as we see you as you are, an extension of the words and the works of the Father, because you are God, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, Lord, allow us to be an extension of your words and your works. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, but as we share your message with a lost world, with a neighbor, with a family member, with a friend, with somebody in our circle of influence, may the words that we share be a reflection of the word of God. And Father, may our dependence on you through prayer be ever so evident as we seek after you, 
we follow you and we say, Lord, we are available. Father, I pray that you would challenge us right now with the people that we need to be reaching for you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a mighty work in and through the people of your church. Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for these comforting words, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.